This is ESPN Crick Info. Bowl at Boyd's. Hello everyone and welcome to a brand new episode of Bowl at Boyd's here on ESPN Crick Info. This is the first episode of 2015. We have a lot to discuss, a lot of matches going on, cricket is going on and we have with us the guest of the show, Mr. Jeffrey Boycott. How is 2015 treating you? I'm pretty good. Looking forward to the World Cup. It's getting nearer, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm ready. I'm rested. I played a bit of golf in Cape Town, and nice sunshine. It's a beautiful city, so I'm fine. I'm ready to go. Great to hear that. Just about twenty odd days to go for the World Cup, and uh, let's start with the questions straight away. First one was sent by Peter from the United Kingdom. He says, Jeffrey, we all accept that DRS increases the number or percentage of correct decisions made. But do you think that it has reduced the actual competency of the umpires, given that modern umpires know that they have the DRS to fall back on should they make a mistake? During India's tours of England and Australia recently, there were many howlers made. Don't you think it is important that the umpires remain highly competent and not keep making mistakes and rely on DRS to get them out of jail all the time? Very good question, but let me just uh, make a few points here. Before TV, when any of us players got what we thought was a poor or bad umpiring decision, we had no way of seeing a replay on TV. We'd no, no way of checking that decision. There was a sense when we went back, so we were given our OBW and we thought it was a missing leg stump. There was a sense of injustice. Sure, we had that feeling that we, we'd had a bad decision, but we couldn't prove whether the umpire was actually wrong. Because we couldn't see anything again. And although we were frustrated with the decision and thought we'd got a, a roughie, we just had to get on with it. And the umpires were under no real pressure, no criticism. Mistakes they made, yeah, what mistakes? Nobody could prove they made mistakes. That's the difference. You thought about it, but when you can't prove it, you can't see a replay on it. What the hell can you do about it? So you soon forgot it and got on with it. Now, what has happened? See, the biggest difference is with the advent of TV coverage. You've got slow motion, close-up, slow, slow motion. Every decision comes under more scrutiny. Now they play it with replays, time after time, super slow-mo. I work in TV a lot. I work in radio. And because they play so much money, and they've got the technology, they show, they show super slow-mo. It's so close up that there is hardly any doubt about any decision given by the umpires. So it's not only the players can see for themselves, there are millions of people watching TV all over the world that can watch like the player and say, that was a terrible decision. That was missing like still. The umpires in the past could make howlers and it was forgotten. Now it lingers all the time because it's there. So we can see when they make bad decisions. So are the umpires today better or worse? I'm not sure they are worse, much worse. I think ex-players are better umpires. They understand the game better. I don't mean to be unfair to people who love the game and umpire and never played first class, but that's a personal feeling. But the thing is, you're now under so much scrutiny that you can't get away with anything. 
And that's the difference, because we can all see the mistakes. We can replay the mistakes. It gets in the papers the next day, the mistakes. It's talked about other mistakes. We don't talk about, we don't replay so much, the brilliant decisions by the umpires. But let's take the second you question. You have to have DRS. Right. India can stick his head in the sand, or they can stick it up his bum if they want. But the fact is, it's here to stay, whether they like it or not. It gives players fairer decisions. And as a professional, all you want, if you made a mistake and you're out, you have to accept it. Disappointment, yes, it's part of the game. But you shouldn't get away with it. And when a bowler bowls well and gets an LBW plumb in front of the stumps and the umpire gives it not out, that's not fair. He's working hard. It's his living, too. He should get a fair decision. And professional players should only want as many fair decisions as they possibly can. It's not possible to get perfection. And if India and those that don't want DRS are trying to say, well, it's not 100%, listen, there's nothing in life 100%. That's true. And let's take the second question now. Well, a couple were sent by Mahesh Puranare from the United States. Let's take the first one out of the two. He says, Jeffrey, India's batting performance was much decent in Australia than it was in England. So, is pace and bounce relatively easier to handle than swing and seam? As a batsman, what adjustment one needs to make to be successful in English and Australian conditions? I'll try to explain it. In England, hardly any pitch is hard with bounce. So unless there is a genuine fast bowler, I mean really express bowler like Mitchell Johnson, you should be looking to play forward to try and negate the swing and theme that will come from English conditions. And my point is that's not making a forward movement before, and I say before the bowler lets the ball go. No, because that's dangerous. You have to wait and see what the length is. And if I can simplify it, there's really three lengths. There's a full length where you play forward, there's a shorter length you play back, and there's that in-between length. Now in England, that in-between length, it's crucial, absolutely crucial you play forward. Because when it's swinging or seaming around, you've got a better chance of negating that if you get forward, bat and pad together forward. I didn't say hiding the bat, I said playing at the ball with your pad next to your bat. My view about swing is simple. See it early, play it late. Wait, wait, let it swing, and then play at the ball. If you go too early, you'll be down the wrong line. If you start your bat on Piccadilly, you'll find by the time the ball gets to you, it'll be on the Metropolitan. The fact is, if the ball starts on off stump and swings, by the time it gets to you, while it is in the air, if you go at it early, by the time it gets to you, it's actually swung to wide of off stump or in to middle stump, so you'd be on the wrong line if you play too soon. You have to wait, and it's not easy, to see the ball coming down at you and wait and wait an extra fraction of a second, let it swing, and then ride the swing, play with it late. You play under your nose, not in front of your body. It's difficult. Didn't say it was easy, but that gives you an idea. 
Now then, Australia is different. You get a bit of swing, but nothing like in England, or very rarely. Australia has lots of hot sunshine and a different soil. Many of their pictures are this bull-eye soil, they call it, and their pictures can often bake very hard in the sun with this soil and get bounce and pace like, for instance, Brisbane and Perth. When there is pace and bounce, you need to stay back more, particularly when the fast bowlers pitch in that no-man's land area. Because if you get forward then, you're going to get one in the face or the neck, or you'll be playing forward and then suddenly have to adjust. The ball is high, and you're playing it out of your high chest, and you're in trouble then. You can't control it. So, front foot England in the no-man's land, in the in-between land, in-between length, and same in Australia, do the opposite. In between length, play back. Now, that's trying to simplify it and answer your question. It's up to the players then. You know, defensive technique, shot selection, applies to whatever type of pitch you play on. Whatever type of bowler is bowling at you. Whenever you are facing somebody, you have to be able to adapt. And that is how we judge great players over a period of time. Not one series. It's simply over a period of time, these players, bowlers and batsmen, bowlers have to adjust. Whether you're Shane Warne, you've got to get wickets all over the world. You're Glenn McGrath, you've got to get wickets all over the world. So whoever your bowler is, Dale Stain gets wickets everywhere. It's as simple as that. But you have to adjust to the conditions. That's right, and let's take uh, Mahesh's second question now. Uh, this continues about batting and a batsman in particular. He says, Cheteshwar Pujara is supposed to be having sound technique and has looked to cement the number three position for India in tests. Now, in two overseas tours, which is in England and Australia, he's not scored enough, even after getting starts. What might be the reason and what does he need to do to succeed consistently in overseas conditions? First of all, I'd like to say that Pujara is a very good batsman with a very good technique. Never met him. I don't know anything about his mental state. But when I've seen him bat, he looks good. But he's not the first guy with a good technique who has had a lean spell. It's happened all over the world in all countries. I know my own country better than most. But take someone like the great Dennis Compton. He went to Australia in 50-51. He missed one test match, but he had seven innings, seven completed innings, and made 53 runs. One of the all-time greats, with Len Houghton gets in every England side that speaks from the 1880s right through to now. He got three naught, naught 23, five naught, 11, and 11 not out. Everybody's heard about it, but I checked the actual figures. 53 for seven he was, one of the all-time greats. If you want another one, who gets in most people's England 11 of all time, might be a slight debate over him, but he's one of the, the great batsmen in England, Peter May. He went to South Africa in 56-57. He scored 6, 14, 8 and 15, 2 and 2, 61, hallelujah, not 24 and 21. Absolutely spellbinding, isn't it? 
153 runs in 10 innings. Average 15. It happens. It's human nature. Get used to it. Pujara, he has to keep working at his game. There is no other way. Take Coley. I've always said I think he's a wonderful batsman. Didn't make any runs in uh, England in the test matches, did he? The ball moved away, his feet were all over the place, he just couldn't cut it. How many months later went to Australia, played magnificently in India in the test. He's been playing beautifully. Always remember that form is temporary, class is permanent. I once said that to Sachin Tendulkar when he was having that difficult spell in Australia and he finished up getting 200 in Sydney. Before that, I slipped a note under his door. I remember it at the Hyatt Hotel in Adelaide. And when I saw him next day, I said, you got my note? He said, yes, thank you. Form is temporary, class is permanent. If you keep believing, if you keep working, it'll come good. You've always got to remember this. An old lady wrote this to me. Adversity is a test of your character. It's what you do about it that matters. Well, I hope somebody drops in a note or two for Pujara as well to revive his form with the help of his class. And uh, that brings us to the fourth question. This was sent by Talha Munir Amanullah from Pakistan, who says, In my generation, I keep hearing stories about the great cricketers of the past. And they all appear to come during a certain era. Example, uh, Ian Botham, Imran Khan, Kapil Dev, Richard Hadley as the great all-rounders. Which of the current players would you put in as the all-time greats of their respective country for tests, ODIs and T20s? Oh, crikey, I could be here forever answering that question. <laughs> <laughs> I could be here forever, I mean, there's so many. I can only tell you about the players who are playing now, this minute. I think of the fast bowlers, Dale Stain would bowl well in any era. I think he's a fantastic bowler in test cricket. Absolutely fantastic. Swings it, bowls seam, bowls at pace. In English conditions, Jimmy Anderson. Not so much abroad. He uses his craft and experience, but he lacks a little bit of pace. But in England, he's a handful. He really is. He's a quality bowler like Alec Betzer was. Medium fast, fast medium of years ago. I've always thought Amler's a good batsman. And De Villiers, for me, is the number one batsman in the world. I don't care what cricket he plays. I've seen him for a long time. I've been in a house in Cape Town now for the last nine years, going to South Africa many times. I thought, even before that century the other day, that was just an outstanding note. I've just thought that he's got something special about him as A.B. De Villiers. He can play 20-20, 50 over, test cricket. doesn't make much difference. It really is. I mean, there are players, I don't know whether you put them in the, the all-time greats, will you put them, it, it's a judgment call. But I think Sangakara, Jai Warden have done brilliantly for Sri Lanka, and Michael Clark, superb batsman, and, but with his fitness, I'm not sure how much more he's going to play. But those three have done really well. And uh, if I had to pick a one-day bowler, Malinga. I haven't seen anybody bowl a brilliant slower ball, brilliant Yorkers as well since Joel Garner, six foot eight, and he was lethal. Go and look at his record. 
He was unbelievable, Joe Gobbler. Malinga is right up there with the very, very best. And in 2020, he can pick lots of players. It's slog cricket, but it's fun cricket, it's brilliant cricket, it's enjoyable cricket. I think Gale and Rayner, yes, Rayner. I'm always telling you, he's not a test match player, he can't cut it, he's no good. He can't play short stuff. But in 2020, where you can't bowl short, or if it goes over your head, the wider, he's outstanding player in the middle order. And Gale up front, well, if it's his day, your team win the match. And I'd like to say two others. Two other people, captaincy, which I'm always saying is difficult. A lot of people give him the job, not many are that good at it. A lot of people get it, they get the stripes, but they're not great leaders. I think MS Dhoni has done brilliantly for India over a period, and, I'll, and I don't know him, I don't think I've ever met him, but another acquaintance, I've passed him, but I've watched his career, fantastic he's done for India. And Brendan McCullum, when he got the job as captain, I said to myself, this might be the making of this lad. I think he's a better player than some people think. They think he's just a, a slogger, a hitter in one-day cricket. I never thought so. I watched his feet and everything. He has an attacking mindset. If he gets in, he'll go after the medium paces, the spinners. Nothing wrong with that for a middle-order player. If somebody set the scene. I think Brendan McCullen done a marvellous job for New Zealand. That's just a few thoughts from me. So, Jeffrey, since you spoke of A.B. de Villiers, uh, do you think he's the best batsman right now, not talking of all-time greats, just right now across formats? Or is there anybody oh, else yeah. who comes to if your I mind? If I had to pick anybody, I'd pick him, he'd be my number one pick. I told South Africans, I was telling him two months ago, some were saying Amla because he got 200 in one of the test matches. I said, A.B. de Villiers, he can play anything, that kid. He can play anything, any type of cricket you want. I reckon if he played in the street, he'd get 100 <laughs> with a manhole cover as a wicket. Alright then, that brings us to the end of this episode of Bullet Boys. All the listeners keep sending in your feedback, your questions via feedback form on the website. And in two weeks from now, when Jeffrey Boycott will join us again, we'll try to take as many as we can. Until then, enjoy the cricket. Bye-bye. You are listening to ESPN Crick Info.